0: Hello, and welcome to the Great Obsession podcast, where we talk about whatever we're obsessed with, which right now is the Shadow and Bone series. (laughs) I still haven't figured out like a tagline for us yet. (laughs) Like, uh, I don't know, where we discuss all things romanticy. Uh, Don't say that. The ACOTAR, the ACOTAR pod girls say that. (laughs) But that's not, that's not like we just talk about whatever we want. But right now it's books. I don't know yeah we'll figure it out but anyway um i'm your host riley and i'm here with my co-host sam and we are talking about siege and storm today and boy do i have some shit to say
1: yes and before we get started this episode will contain plenty of spoilers for siege and storm as well shadow and bone but we will not be touching on what is the next one called ruin and rising yeah,
0: Ruin and Rising. Ruin and Rising. So if you have not read Siege and Storm, I would recommend you leave now. And also, I've never made this disclaimer for before, but I've been wondering if I should. Um, we swear sometimes. Mm. So if there are children present and or if you are not comfortable with swearing, I would not recommend that you listen to this podcast. And that's all I have to say about that. Um, I... <sighs> Okay. Let me let me say something here. In our Shadow and Bone episode, I was g- going off about all kinds of different plot holes and things that questions that I had about the magic and just all kind like I was just on one. And I would like to eat my words because <laughs> I have now finished the series and a lot of those things got resolved i'm not going to talk about ruin and rising but i have read it by this point when we are recording so um if you were frustrated by our shadow and bone episode and me ranting about things that got resolved uh that that won't happen in this episode. (laughs) and i'm sorry (laughs) i was gonna say
1: i haven't uh i haven't read ruin and rising so i still have license to rant
0: (laughs) yes you do You do. And I'll just pretend that um I don't know the answer. You you can be
1: like you can be like, Don't worry, that one gets
0: Yeah, okay, maybe I'll do that because that way we don't rant for ten minutes about something. (laughs) Like I'm just thinking about some of the stuff we ranted about and I'm like, Well, she answered that
1: question. (laughs) (laughs) She heard our our
0: Yeah. And you know what? That's like part of the journey of reading a series for the first time. Is that you have questions and this is not a reread for us. This is a first read. So, I mean, that's our genuine conversation and thoughts that we had. But um, I have not regrets, but I, I'm just thinking back, like, maybe I shouldn't have talked for 10 minutes about this thing.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: but anyway, how are you feeling tonight? Feeling after reading this book?
1: Um, So, like I said, I haven't read Ruin and Rising. I was not crazy about shadow and bone and i will i didn't dislike siege and storm i wasn't like this book sucks i'm not gonna read it it wasn't that at all it was an entertaining book um Mm -hmm. and it was like a fine read i think just at this point in my reading journey i know what it feels like when i am just like fully in a book. Can't put it Mm -hmm. down. It's like a total page turner. And this book did not feel like that. I felt like I could stop reading it at any point and pick it up later. There was not compelling me to get to finish to find out what happens next. So that doesn't mean that it was bad because it wasn't. It was like an interesting and entertaining read. I just think that I want Maybe I wanted to be more emo- emotionally invested in what was happening, and I, I didn't feel super emotionally invested in any of the characters really. Um, mm-hmm. It was just like, oh, there they, there they go, we'll going to a new place, going to another new place, I'm doing a thing. You know, it just, yeah, it, it got a little. Because it's not like there weren't things happening, you know? Like, there was some action. There was developments in the plot, you know? It wasn't a stagnant plot by any means. It just was, it just never, it just never picked up the pace for me. It never really got me invested, I don't think. So, I think to me, this was like a solid, like, three and a half stars, I think. Yeah. Interesting world. I do think the plot moved forward in this book. I don't think it was like a um, but it just, I don't know. It didn't. It didn't grasp me. I felt
0: similar. I felt like this book was a lot of um, people walking places mm-hmm. and people attending meetings. Yes, like it was just a not a lot of action, and I think so far from what i've read of lee bardugo some of her strongest writing is in the action scenes like when there's shit happening i am invested and i don't want to put it down i think that's why i tore through shadow and bone so fast but the when it's just like i sometimes felt like there was just details that we didn't need like mm-hmm. i don't need all the details of their journey to to os alta I hope I said that right. And I don't need all the details of like all these meetings that they're attending every Mm -hmm. day while they're living in the little palace. I was just kind of like, all right, (laughs) can we get somewhere? Because this book is kind of long. I mean, it's longer than Shadow and Bone. And I just did not feel like it needed to be as long as it was.
1: Yeah. And I think to your point, when I – because so much of the book is them getting to – and then also her working in the little palace and with the grand palace like preparing for the darkling taking control of the grisha you know all and by the end of the book none of that matters yeah and it's all irrelevant as far as the plot goes i think yeah really made the slower parts feel even slower after I was done because I knew that they were essentially insignificant. Like I think, you know, we have that big battle scene right at the end where things go like horribly awry and obviously a lot of characters die, but no one that we're particularly invested in. No characters we know it's just like, oh, everybody's dead and now we're running away. And I think That I that was gonna have I don't know I just I just felt like the impact didn't hit me much I was like oh things are going awry and that's really unfortunate but it didn't have any emotional weight for me when it happened and so then I was like well why did why did I just read all this stuff about her trying to lead these people and like. Mm-hmm. You know, she started instituting some really interesting changes to the <clears throat> this. What are they? The first army or are they the second army?
0: The second the army. The second army.
1: Yeah, she started like instituting yeah. really different changes, and and there was a lot of pushback against her rule. But then she was kind of coming into her own with that, and it just kind of was like, why? You know, like we yeah we did all of this, but then it kind of just got negated and like I said I'm not through ruin and rising yet so I don't know if the events that happened at the little palace are going to kind of come back and are going mm-hmm. to re- be relevant by the time we reach the end of the series that could be but as far as siege and storm where it ends I just felt like there was just like a, a lot of time doing very little that
0: yeah No, I agree. And I feel like we kind of have the same problem with the first book where like Mm -hmm. all this stuff happens, but then by the end, it feels like it'll happen for nothing. And I feel like this same thing happened where it was like all this time spent at the little palace and just like all this, all this stuff, like all these meetings and Mm -hmm. politics and, and, and all this planning too. I know. I feel like it's frustrating watching them plan. Because you know that, like, due to the nature of this being a fantasy novel, the plans, like, it's not going to go according to plan. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they're doing all this planning, making these big discs for her to use her light and whatever. And you just know that it's not going to work out. And then, wow, huge surprise. It doesn't work out. Mm -hmm. And that was just kind of frustrating. And I even had made, I, I put in some little markers while I was reading this. And I had marked this one page where Alina like takes, she kind of takes control of a situation for the first time. And it's when they first arrive to the little palace and all the Grisha are like, no, she can't lead the second army. And they're questioning her loyalty and just going on and on about all this stuff. And then Alina like really kind of comes into her own and it's like, I don't care if Let me see if I can get this exact quote. I don't care if you think I'm a saint or a fool or the Darkling's whore. If you want to remain at the Little Palace, you'll follow me. And if you don't like it, you will be gone by tonight or I will have you in chains. I'm a soldier. I'm the Sun Summoner. And I'm the only chance you have. So she, like, really goes off. And I feel like that's kind of the first time we ever see her go off like Mm -hmm. that and, like, really step into a role as a leader. So I marked that because I was like, oh, shit, like, character development. Like, we love to see Alina, like, really stepping in. But then... It just uh, doesn't I don't hold. It just fizzles out. yeah. And it's
1: interesting too because I also noticed that and I was and I started like anticipating in the book I thought she was really going to age for better or for worse because you know uh, Siege and Storm really embraces this tension between you know she's escaped the Darkling and she's acquired a second amplifier and is it Mm-hmm. is it changing her and are her in the darkling two sides of the same coin and is she gradually going to go down kind of like a similar path that he does as far as power goes and so mm-hmm. knowing that they had already kind of laid the foundation for that tension and so I was like okay we're going to see more of her leadership and she's going to either lean into that darkness and that's going to be the tension or she's going to consciously like push back against it and actively try to be a different leader from the darkling and and that was what i was anticipating and it just never she like did a little bit like smatterings of both she had kind of moments yeah but she never really embraced like a long-term like leadership role in this book for me in my opinion i do think it's interesting because i think in Shadow and Bone, one of our complaints is when she's with Mal, she just kind of takes like sort of like a back seat and she just kind of like yes. does whatever Mal wants to do and what's Mal on and how does Mal feel, you know? And she gets yes. very simpy for lack of a better term. <laughs> and it's interesting because she has a lot of tension with Mal that like this that still holds true in Siege and Storm, but there's more tension with Mal. They're like not on great terms for the majority of this book yeah but then and he obviously can't go with her to a lot of these leadership roles that she's in you know with the palace and with the grisha but nikolai Mm -hmm. who i do love 10 of 10 he's a great time um we can talk more about him in a a minute he kind of becomes her new mal like she just defaults to him and how he leads in these royal meetings and i think she i think they're more similarly minded so i think it feels like when she goes along with him that that's also what she thinks but yeah i i don't know we just see so many scenes of her watching him take control of the situation just like we kind of saw her watching mal take control of the situation and we never get to see like alina taking control of the situation when there's, like, either Mal, Nikolai, or the Darkling, or, well, kind of the Darkling, but, like, particularly Mal and Nikolai, we never see her take control of the situation when they're there.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's so true. I didn't think about that specifically, but that is really true. And I feel like she just kind of waffles between, like, she doesn't seem to fully know what she wants, Mm -hmm. and so she just waffles between what Mal wants and what. Nikolai wants and it's kind of frustrating to read since we're in her head Mm -hmm. and I think that's why I was like cheering and like marked the page on that one time that she does kind of speak up for herself so it's like yes finally but then she she just doesn't hold on to it so it's as a heroine I feel like in this book it's a little tough to be in her head
1: well and I I think there's something like strange about it where I don't really know what Lee Bardugo wants us to feel towards Alina like does she want us to be rooting for her does she want us to be frustrated or angry with her because you know sometimes you do have a protagonist that I think is very intentionally written to be a frustrating and like complicated character where you're like just do what I you know like Mm -hmm. that's an intentional move on the author's part but I feel like with Alina, I can't tell if Lee Bardugo loves this character or hates this character or is just like <laughs> yeah. entirely indifferent to her. It, it's very strange because I feel like normally I can really get a sense of how the author feels about the character from their writing, even if it's not the lead, You can like see an author's affection for a character, I feel like, in their writing. And I just feel like I see any of that for yeah
0: no I agree and you know what this makes me think I also don't know if I'm supposed to be rooting for Mal and Delina. like I, I don't reading through this book I did not know I was like are the am I supposed to start rooting for her and Nikolai am I supposed to because I mean honestly Nikolai Nikolai's Nikolai so yeah better.
1: of the gentlemen we've been introduced to the three suitors it's I'm team Nikolai for sure. Yeah,
0: Yeah. me too. I was like starting to ship them. Uh, We can talk more specifically about Nikolai in a second. But with Mal, in this book, he was driving me crazy because they were having all this tension. And it was just not interesting because it was just him being possessive, him being like sulky and moody all the time. And I was like, dude, get over it. Well, I don't know.
1: And what was confusing to me, and maybe this is because you know, we are seeing everything from Alina's point of view. And in Shadow and Bone, we don't get a ton of actual Alina Mal content. It's just like a lot of Alina yeah. thinking about Mal. But based yeah. on thoughts about him, and and this is actually like a really interesting thing to think about as an if you if you think about like what the author was intending. But based off of Alina's thoughts ab- about Mal. There's a lot in this book that feels out of character for him. I can't actually say that it is out of character because I feel like Alina's perception of him has always been probably a bit skewed and not super accurate. And this is the first time that we're actually seeing Mal as like an independent character just like taking, you know, independent actions and making choices and I yeah, don't yeah. know. I'm like is it just the circumstances? Cuz you know they they are in shitty circumstances. Like I'm not I don't think anyone's going to be at their best. Or no. is it yeah, that's true. like Mal has always possessive and domineering and toxic and we've just never seen it before cuz Alina has always followed him around kind of like a puppy and never you know asserted herself in any other space. I don't know. But I do think that made it... I think that added to, like, why it was so difficult for me to emotionally connect. Because Mal was frustrating, but he was also confusing me because I didn't feel like it was his... The character I had of him in my mind did not align with the character in this book.
0: Yeah. His character's pretty unclear, I think. Mm -hmm. I feel like we kind of said in our Shadow and Bone episode that, like, Mal is like we were like what motivates him like what what drives him what who is he as a character Mm -hmm. and i feel like after this book i still don't have an answer like there's Mm -hmm. one part where he says oh i don't know if i can find it but he says some 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 shit to alina where he's like uh, it's during their fight at the banya and he sorry i'm pretty sure i marked it so i'm trying to find the exact quote you're good But he is being so annoying. This is and okay.
1: Right after he when he's like at the like the
0: Yeah, yeah. So he's just been in the fight club and he's all beat up and she's pissed and then they start fighting and he's so Mal is talking about like I don't know what I'm doing here, I don't know what my purpose is, and Alina says, Don't say that. We do have a purpose. We came here for Ravka. And he goes, no, Alina, you came here for Ravka, for the Firebird, to lead the second army. I came here for you. You're my flag. You're my nation. But that doesn't seem to matter anymore. Do you realize this is the first time we've been alone in weeks? So he's essentially telling Alina that everything I'm doing is for you. And that just doesn't make a lot of sense because Mm -hmm. up until, like, the last three-fourths of Shadow and Bone, or the last
1: one-fourth of Shadow and Bone, he didn't even seem to care about her that much. I know. Like, he seemed. He just seems so indifferent in the beginning of Shadow and Bone. Not in, like, a bad way, but just in a way that, to me, clearly conveyed, oh, she has a crush on her friend, and it's not reciprocated, and he has no idea. You know, that's how it read to me, is he... Not that he didn't care for her, but just that she thought about him significantly more than he was thinking about her. Yeah. And then this book... It's the complete opposite or it seems like it's the complete opposite where he's thinking about her all the time and she's not thinking about him.
0: Yeah. And he's like losing his goddamn mind. Yeah, but I
1: don't understand why or when that shift happened. I don't, I don't get it because it's, yeah, I just, I don't know if it's once again that off screen time that they had just the two of them when they're fleeing the Darkling and they end up when... Seaside, Trader Town um, at the beginning of Siege and Storm that they've maybe been there for a long time. I guess I'm a little unclear on the timeline like how they've been there. I thought it was only like a few weeks at most. Yeah, in my mind it's like two weeks. That's what I was thinking as well which is like not a doesn't feel like enough time for him to reach that level of
0: like devotion to her. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I know. I feel like that whole thing there, there was even a part in, um, in this book where I don't remember what it says, but it, somebody says to Mel, like, what did you think was going to happen when you guys went off to Novizem or whatever the name of the, the country is, that's basically the U.S. (laughs) Um, (laughs) like, what do you think, did you guys really think that you could just like go off galvanting together and, like, never be thought of again? Like, when you're the only sun summoner? Like, what what were you thinking, essentially? And that's just kind of how I think I don't understand Mal. Because he, if he was willing to just run away with Alina, then clearly he never cared about Ravka. But he's a, been a soldier his whole life and didn't leave soldierhood but he
1: was like seeking (laughs) like a full-on like they uh alina mentions this like so many times in her thoughts that he had a career and his dream was to be a career soldier and like work his way up the military which is literally fighting for ravka like by definition that was gonna be his career and now she's asking him to fight for ravka in honestly a very slightly different way it still seems like he's doing a lot of the same things for her that he was doing when he was in the military so like i don't mm-hmm. i don't understand why he's suddenly so ap-
0: yeah and we're supposed to like just accept that the little palace is a place where he's not thriving and this has been so hard on him <laughs> I know. Like, and why? Like, he's doing the same shit he's been doing this whole time, but he's living more comfortably. I don't understand why he's... We have to make this big deal about why he hates it so much.
1: I know. I don't... I. It's like he... He wants to... Like, when he's super social and is the life of the party but Alina is isolated on the outside he doesn't care but when Alina is kind of like the center of attention and he's marginally isolated on the side he does care because I just I just keep thinking about the beginning of Shadow and Bone where he's got all of these friends and it feels so much like Alina is like chasing after him just hoping that he gives her some time because, yeah. you know, she talks about all these girls that he's, you know, flirting with or have maybe relationships with, all of that sort of stuff. And, like, she doesn't seem to have any real friends of her own. Like, she's got acquaintances, but not much. She's very lonely, just very attached to Mal. And so it seems so weird that now the roles aren't quite reversed, but... She finally has a semi sort of place, if you will, even if she maybe doesn't feel internally like she belongs. She certainly belongs like maybe a bit more than he does. For sure. And he's like pissed about it. I just think it's so hypocritical about of him. I don't know. I mm-hmm. I was I would agree. Mal was super, super frustrating this entire like all the way up to the end. I did not feel like they got the the closure and resolution that they should have, you know, it didn't, mm-hmm. it didn't feel resolved, all the shit he pulled. But I, it is resolved for them. But as a reader, it didn't feel resolved.
0: No, no, it just felt like it was a, a bunch of squabbling and being frustrating for a whole book, like for no outcome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, we never made any progress, which was really frustrating. But um, a, I feel like, in comparison to Mal, then mm-hmm. we look. We can look at Nikolai, who Wahoo! was such a breath of fresh air for oh me reading God. this book. I know. Every time he was in the room, I was like, "Thank God."
1: Well, <laughs> and you know what I realized with the arrival of Nikolai? I think part of why Shadow and And the beginning part of Siege and Storm and any scene that Nikolai's not in, to be honest, like, is so hard for me is because everyone, like, so depressing all the time. Yeah, they're so serious. So serious and so negative, everybody, that it's like, okay, well, when Nikolai's in the room, like, he's not overly optimistic. Like, he's not, like, an irrationally... It's not like he doesn't know what's going on. It's not like he doesn't know the severity of the situation. It's just that he possesses a sense of humor (laughs) that no one else does. He literally does. It's so pleasant and he's like so quick-witted. And I think the fact that he is introduced first as Stormhound or Sturmhound, whatever. I call him Stormhound because Sturmhound is... (laughs) sounds dumb to me i i pronounced it sturmund
0: in my head. what
1: sturmund
0: i i listened to lee bardugo say it in a video though and she says sturm which is just
1: too hard to say sturm yeah i'm gonna call him Stormhound. i'm sticking with that
0: <laughs> but i
1: think having him introduced that way and then seeing like the reveal not only of his identity but of his personality honestly yeah and there's like so much nuance there and you take a like he's very morally gray at the beginning we don't really know what he's gonna do and then you're like wait Mm -hmm. but he's actually the best and nicest guy in this entire series and the only one who's actually like out to do what's best for the people I was like I love him I'm rooting for him yeah and yeah he was just so enjoyable to have in this book and I was so annoyed that it this book ended with them actively like separated and him off screen essentially just leaving
0: yeah I know it's funny because this summary that I looked up before we started the episode I wanted to make sure that I like, didn't blend together the events of Ruin and Rising and Siege and Storm, so I googled this and I found this summary that's like, S- the person who wrote it is funny and they <laughs> for the end they go, the Darkling and his Grisha and the Nietzsche Voya attack the palace and Nikolai flees to his flying ship with his parents and important people and disappears. All caps. We don't know if he is alive, but he has to be okay, Leigh Bardugo, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> that was exactly my feelings at the end of this book. Like, if if he's dead, I don't care about the story. I literally don't care.
1: He's the only just... one that I'm seriously rooting for.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's the only character that after this book that I'm like really invested in. And I was that's why I was like shipping him and Alina, because I was like, please give me like an interesting love interest Mm -hmm. for me to be like rooting for and like the way that their their conversations were going i feel like every time they talked i liked alina more as well i agree she also has a sense of humor and he brings it out in her and the dialogue was just so lovely to read between them Mm -hmm. and and then in comparison to her and mal where he's just like then I hid it here and she's like no Mal please it's whereas so Nikolai is like is like oh you don't survive at sea if you can't stomach fish and uh, <laughs> the court kitchens seem to feel that a meal isn't complete if it isn't swimming in butter only a prince would complain about too much butter and they just like talk about stupid stuff like that that's like mm-hmm. no one else feels the need to talk about like the food they're eating or the
1: Just the things going
0: on around them besides like "Mm, war, rough, depressing. Well,
1: and like Like, all the jokes that like the inside secret jokes that they make about his brother kill me. They're so funny. And yeah, their dialogue is so interesting and so it's just, it's a lot more engaging. I think obviously fantasy you can't relate to, like, the events of fantasy because it's fantasy, right? right. It's it's supposed to be different from right. our reality. So the way you relate to the books are in the relationships and the emotions that the characters feel. And I feel like this is the only relationship in this book that I feel like I can really relate to, you know?
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I feel like also one of my favorite parts of reading – series like this is that like over the course of a series you become invested with the characters and they feel like friends Mm -hmm. and so like reading scenes with the characters talking to each other feels like hanging out with friends and I had never gotten that feeling from this book until we got Nikolai and Alina talking and then I was like okay like it's in it was engaged I forgot I was reading Mm -hmm. I was just like enjoying myself I also just want to um Appreciate that Nikolai at one point said to Mal and Alina, you know, for two people with a love eternal, you're awfully insecure. So true. Ain't that
1: the truth? Oh, my gosh.
0: So true, King. Go off. I just was like, thank you for pointing that out. Like, at least this book, I guess, had some self-awareness. It did. did. (laughs) I'll I'll give credit there for sure. Like, she... It seems like the the insecurities and the frustrations seem to be happening on purpose, which goes back to like, does does LeBar want me to root for Mal and Alina? I don't know, but I enjoyed the little moments of of self awareness because, oh my god, <laughs> this can't be what a depiction what LeBar Bardugo thinks is like a normal cute relationship because like I'm not.
1: Yeah, I feel like I feel like there's no way. That she at least solely wants us to root for them. I feel like she's just like dying for a romantic, uh, like a love triangle at every turn. But the Mal and Alina just falls so short that it's like a what do you call it? It's like an isosceles. <laughs> is that yeah? Is that right? The, one of those
0: triangles. That's wait. What are the other triangles? There's, There's the obtuse. Equilateral- Isosceles. There's a third. Oh, one. I was
1: thinking of acute versus. Ob- it's isosceles, equilateral, and. Is it just a right triangle? I'll Google it. Is that the third one? I'll Google it.
0: Not us googling geometry
1: terms. God. Um. You know who's disappointed right now? Mr. Conklin. Rip. Scaling. Sorry, Mr. Conklin. Scaling. Okay,
0: wait. What's the difference between scaling and isosceles? <laughs> I don't know.
1: Okay, okay I'm gonna podcast. see some pictures. Uh, a scalene. Okay, I was maybe confused. A scalene is like an acute. Wait, never mind. Uh, okay, okay. A scalene has a really obtuse corner. Okay. So think. Think. Our starting point is a right triangle. Okay. Okay. And that okay. ninety degree corner in a scalene becomes much wider. So like I don't
0: okay. know, like hundred
1: degrees, something. Versus see, in I an see. isosceles, it becomes much skinnier. Like oh, a cute. like a 50 degree.
0: Okay. Okay, so then which which one of those is this triangle? <laughs> <laughs> well
1: I'll admit in my mind I realize now I was just thinking of like an angle like uh oh oh but I guess <laughs> love angle. I guess I'll oh, yes. I'll stick with isosceles I m- the moral of the story is this is not an equilateral I, triangle. it's not an equilateral triangle I feel like Alina and Nikolai's um points are much closer together and then Mal's is really far away making it a really narrow point <laughs> someone out there is listening to this and they're like what the fuck
0: yeah like shut the fuck up about triangles um <laughs> let me just give you this quote that i wrote he was right though Wait, you wrote on this page, so so on page 42 there's a quote that says it's Genya telling uh um, okay, okay. Alina that the way, she never sent mouse letters. The way
1: you said that, you were like he listened to this quote I wrote. Like you wrote well, the quote. And I was like, I'm how interesting. Myself. Yeah. I was like, hmm. <laughs> okay, continue. That uh um, Le- I mean read the, for the, someone starting a podcast. The Lee Bardugo
0: quote, please. Okay. Uh, this is a Genya quote. She says Oh okay, Alina says the letters I wrote to Mal back at the little palace. He said he never got them. And Genya says they were never sent. The Darkling said you needed to leave your old life behind. And I wrote down, he was right though. <laughs> she needed to leave that shit behind. Honestly. And this was like page 42 of the book. So I was like, "Oh, maybe this will be a theme. Maybe she'll start to leave Mal behind." No, it wasn't. We complete, went the
1: opposite that. actually.
0: Genyan was just out there like speaking Truth, spitting facts, and we just no one
1: listened. I know, like the Darkling is is pretty messed up, like definitely not a great dude, but I'll be damned if he isn't got some points. For real. Okay, wait, can we talk about the Darkling? Because mm-hmm. he
0: is a very controversial character in this fandom, I've come to find out. Mm-hmm. And I know in the first book we were frustrated because he starts out all mysterious and sexy mm-hmm. and then he turns into this like wahaha pure evil creepy guy. Yeah. And in this book? I don't know. What do you think of him?
1: Um. So he's definitely still creepy in this book. And mm-hmm. like I mean he's the Darkling. So like he's dark. Yeah. However I do That's think he walks a little bit closer to the sexy side at moments. And I think that he, he, to me, and I'm curious what you think, but I think he gains some emotional depth in this book. Not, yes. not in like a, he's particularly emotive. I just think his actions speak to, like his emotional state pretty clearly to me i think we see so when we left off in shadow and bone i was left with the impression of he was just using alina the whole time she was always like a tool he sees her as a child you know a lot of i didn't think that any of the chemistry there it felt gone it felt ruined and I think in this book some of that chemistry on his end comes back I don't know that I get a ton of chemistry coming off of Alina but I do feel it coming off of him I do feel like he feels very strongly towards her I'm not exactly sure what I want to define that feeling as but i certainly was like okay so the darkling has emotions yes he has complexity there is some nuance in his character that at the end of shadow and bone i didn't feel like was there so this book actually brought i'm not going to say that this book was like making me love the darkling or root for the darkling or anything by that means but it did make the Darkling come back for me as a really interesting character.
0: I agree. I think
1: at the end of the first book, my one of my biggest
0: frustrations, and I'm pretty sure I ranted about this for like 10 minutes, mm-hmm. was like, he's not an interesting villain. I was like, give me a villain that like I can root for. And um, yeah, it turns out that all <laughs> I needed to do was read the next book because I do think he gained, like you said, some emotional depth in that we realized that his motivation is not only power Mm -hmm. it's like he's got this fixation on alina because she is the only other one out there like Like him him. yeah and she feels that too and she Mm -hmm. she at some point acknowledges like what's wrong with me like i also i don't know kind of want this Power. I mm-hmm. I also really enjoy using my power, and I I want more amplifiers. So I I think she that's like one one of the more interesting aspects of her character is her wrestling with like how alike she is to the Darkling in some ways. Mm-hmm. So then I liked seeing also the Darkling and how he because it's like he knows that she's thinking about that, mm-hmm. and so he's really getting in her head. And the stuff where where he's, like, appearing to her mm-hmm. because – and she thinks she's going crazy. Um, I mean, the part where they kissed was, like, really creepy and messed up. But besides that, I was kind of, like, nice. Like, I don't know. If I could, like, haunt someone like that who <sighs> I was angry at, would be kind of fun.
1: <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. Can't wait to <laughs> just hold that over your head forever. Um <laughs> Yes. Yeah, I thought that the haunting was a really interesting way to bring the Darkling back into the book. because if Yeah, because had... he's gone for most exactly. of it. Exactly. And if it had just been them theorizing about the Darkling's movements and things that he's doing and, you know, kind of approaching him in that very clinical sort of military mind, I think that that would have become a much less compelling villain. It would have been like, I'm like, what am I reading? Like a war drama? This is not that interesting. But because he does haunt her. And I think for me, part of the haunting was, came across to me as like him asserting himself Over Alina and being like, I'm powerful. I can see everything you do. You can't escape me. Like, maybe you physically got away, but you'll never truly be free of me. And then I Yeah. And so I think it was like that came through, but I also came through that like he's obsessed with her. And it goes beyond just wanting to like use her power. Like there there's something to your point, that draws them together. And we see Alina talk about how she feels that, that she's drawn to him. And I think in these hauntings, we see that he is just as equally drawn to her. And by the time we reach the ending of this book, the way this book ends with their fight and also just like the things he says to her, I feel like when we finish this book, they're on much more equal footing than I would have expected
0: yeah and the the ending was really interesting it's like yes very unexpected they had with each other I did not yeah I I did not see that coming at all so I appreciated that because I felt like at the end of of Shadow and Bone we were just so frustrated with the ending we're like oh it was Mm -hmm. heavenly fire like shit just happening for no reason and resolving everything too easily and in this one sure there are some frustrations with the way that kind of some of the things in the story turned out to be pointless Mm -hmm. but overall i thought this ending was quite a bit more interesting than i would agree i would agree i'm looking to see if i can find the scene where her and the darkling like really go at it because
1: yo she really takes him by surprise she does, and we love to see it. I know. I love seeing the he, Darkling surprise. That's my favorite um, trope. Surprise! <laughs> surprised villain. Surpri- <laughs> yeah, fair.
0: Especially because he's, like, so cocky and confident all the time. Like, you can't escape me. I'm the one who's going to win in the end. I have all the power, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then she still manages to surprise him. I
1: love to see it oh no this is i don't know what page it i have it on mine um are you looking for a, like which specific because she like um, i love that so what i love is so she says um he's like oh if you come with me like i'll let the rest of them live And so she is, like, fine. And she, like, goes up to him. And she gets all, like, close to him. And she cups Mm -hmm. the back of his neck and, like, pulls herself up, which is, like, a real power move. And she says, my power is yours, I whispered. I saw the elation and triumph in his eyes as he lowered his mouth to mine. Our lips met and the connection between us opened. This was not the way he touched me in my visions when he just come to me as a shadow. This was real and I could drown in it. And then... She's like like calls to like. She's she says my power is yours. I repeated. His arms tightened around me, and yours is mine. I whispered against his lips. Mine. The word rever- reverberated through me, through both of us. And then she just takes his power. And she does. And he's like, "What are you doing?" And um, it. She just keeps repeating in her mind, mine and let me see and he like tries to pull away from her but she just like pulls him back and he starts yelling and he's like stop and he's like you'll kill us both and she says yes the darklings yeah knees I buckled and we collapsed to our knees
0: yeah i loved when he was like no don't
1: kill us and she's like that's what i'm trying to do bitch yeah, i know i know it's such a power move um it really is. And then and she would
0: have done it too. I know.
1: I know. And it's interesting that Mal pulls her off. Yes. That part. That part is it's interesting. it's interesting because I was like, "Oh good, she's like not dead." Obviously, but at the same time, I was pretty annoyed with him because I felt yeah. like this moment with the darkling where she's like, "I'm going to end this," is the most clarity we ever get from Alina, like She's so – she's, like, clear of mind. She's logical. She's not doing this in some kind of, like, emotional haze per se. I just feel like – I feel like she is asserting – once again, she's asserting herself in a really clear way and fighting. And I I do feel like he takes it from her. Like, he, like, won't let her do this. And I understand, obviously, we don't want her to die. And I respect right. Mal not wanting her to die. But I, I was a little bit like – well, I just wish he hadn't pulled her off. I wish it had been some other kind of way of stopping it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, or if she had realized that like I need to live or we need to live or I don't know. I just felt like I feel like it could have been more interesting if she like felt some kind of way about them wanting them to live. But mm-hmm. yeah, it doesn't do to dwell on hypotheticals. I just uh, Overall, I'm just like thinking about this book and if I have anything more to say. And I just feel like this book was like kind of a nothing burger. (laughs) (laughs) I just don't. (sighs) After this scene, like that was the most interesting scene to me. Mm -hmm. And besides like the scenes with her and Nikolai, this was just like. It was a bit of a snooze. Kind of a snooze. Like if I were to, if we were to do an episode talking about all the whole trilogy. I would simply not talk about this book Mm -hmm. because just like it was... Now that I've read Ruin and Rising, I know it's like a lot of setup, Mm -hmm. but it was just kind of a lot... It felt like setup. It certainly did. It was like a lot of just like waiting, Mm -hmm. preparing. And so I don't have that much more to say about this nothing burger, if I'm being honest.
1: The one thing that I do briefly want to touch on more because i want your (laughs) why do you look like you're gonna laugh right now you look like you've read something really funny are you just thinking of the word like nothing burger over and over in your head
0: i'm I'm thinking of this tweet i saw where somebody legitimately ordered a nothing burger on doordash (laughs) like he ordered a burger from mcdonald's but then put like no patty no lettuce no bun no. so he like deleted all the ingredients but still paid like nine dollars for a burger and the door dasher contacted him and was like it was like he got some question that was like your dasher is confused about your order and then he just didn't respond and they delivered an empty wrap <laughs> <laughs> So he paid nine dollars for an empty wrapper. I don't know why. I just think that's so funny that someone did that, like just for
1: the meme. It's commitment to the bit. Gotta respect that. <laughs>
0: yeah, uh, for real. Do it
1: for the vine. Mm, but all right Twenty twenty two. Yeah, I know. Um, but no. What I wanted to like briefly talk about is the amplifiers because when we mm. when we finished Shadow and Bone, I to say that it like i when they killed the serpent and they were like it's the second amplifier i was like oh shit these covers make so much more sense now um i was oh my god wait did you not put this together i haven't looked at the covers oh my gosh yes (laughs) each cover has a different amplifier on it so the first one at least my covers i have the newer books um, oh, so the shit. first one is the stag, the second one is the serpent, and the third one is the firebird. So, like, spoiler alert, I knew she wouldn't get the firebird in this book. Um, but I was really oh, pleased God. to to finally put the covers together. Wow, what <laughs> what
0: a scholar. What a galaxy brain. I never, Using them eyes. I never noticed that shit. I, I was like also this book this copy of siege and storm i have i think it's the older one it has like a castle on it and not but my copy of shadow and bone does have the stag and i just
1: had no no thoughts
0: thoughts about that i was like oh the lord of the north from from throne
1: of glass nice we love a, We love a majestic uh, all-white stag.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for real. It's kind of funny that that there's like that parallel. Yeah, n- nothing says two. like oh, mystical
1: north like a like a white stag. Like a white
0: stag. So true. Anyway, I did have a I had one thought in this book reading the beginning. I felt like they hunted down and killed that sea whip, which why are they calling it that? It's like a sea dragon. They Killed it so fast I know I was like This is happening Like this should have Taken them months And I wrote down Um
1: Somewhere Yo you should Google Sea
0: Whip Because Oh is it like Is it like a real thing
1: It is a real thing But it's dead ass Some coral Oh (laughs) What is What this I think we used The wrong word what the hell what tarnation yeah, this, is, this
0: is okay i found one oh i found one illustration of like a sea dragon and in this google image search and i was like oh okay but th- turns out it's from a, a reddit r slash grisha verse my interpretation of the sea whip so stupid everything else is just literally coral so yeah that was maybe the wrong word <laughs> and while we're on the topic of wrong words a glass of tea is that a thing do people ever say glass of tea because the word glass makes me think of like like a clear like glass but that's a mug though that's a, that you that you have
1: that's a mug um,
0: even if it's clear every time it says glass of tea i, was like I would I was say, say a mug of tea
1: I would. That's such an obscure thing to like be bothered by. I didn't. I don't know. Why. I don't remember them drinking tea at any point in this entire book, oh my God, which they is drink hilarious. So much tea. Um. Whoopsies. <laughs> I would say though, it's funny because I feel like a glass of tea is like a glass of sweet tea. Like it's like iced and it's in the south. Yes. Y'all yes, want like a glass of. Iced y'all want tea. a glass of tea? Is that a southern accent? Right. Did I do it? Um. Um, you said y'all, so, like... That's it? You're the southern expert here.
0: (laughs) Me living in Texas for (laughs) 0.2 seconds?
1: Hey, you're from South Carolina.
0: Oh, my, no, I'm not. I lived there for, like, kindergarten to third grade. Those are formative years. No. No, high school is the formative years.
1: (laughs) Anyways not the point anyways the point is yeah anyways. i guess i guess a glass of tea is like a is like an odd way of saying that i don't know why i just always thought it was odd that they said that but anyway going back to, to the seaway yes so i would agree first of all that they find it so friggin' fast i'm like it's like literally chapter four I'm like okay so this mystical being doesn't seem that mystical um no but okay it's like supposedly
0: been living it for thousands of years
1: and then and they just kill it? I know, and they, well, so and that's so that's kind of my where I'm going with my thought because in the first book, it's like a huge plot point that Alina offers the stag like mercy, and she like tries to protect it, right? And yeah, she feels yeah. a lot um, when it's killed; like she's really sad about it. And then we get to the sea whip, and I mean, she's not like thrilled that it's dead or anything but she Mm -hmm. her response to me was very very different and she does end up killing this one herself and then the course of the rest of this book she's very much so obsessed with the firebird and Mm -hmm. killing it and wearing its bones um good for you honey so i guess do we think that it's because she already has one, like, because when she had just the one amplifier, that wasn't supposed to, like, make her evil. Like, that shouldn't have had any impact on her mind, right? Right. But yet, I feel like she has a real lack of empathy when she kills the sea whip compared to when the stag was killed. Yeah, that's
0: true. And I also felt like, the mercy that she showed the stag was like a big part of the plot. I know, I know.
1: And it wasn't and like she never was like, Stop, don't hurt the sea whip. She was like, What are y'all yeah. doing? Oh, it's here. I guess if it's gonna die anyways, <sighs> I might as well peel off its scales. It was like we're being very oh, chill oh. about like skinning this beautiful, once of a kind, like mystical creature. I don't know there's just something really off about it to me and it I think once she has the second one we do see a little bit of a shift in her personality where it makes more sense to me that she would be more brutal towards hunting the firebird and killing it yeah but I feel like the whole point is like prior to acquiring the second one is she's the same old Alina like it doesn't change her when she just has one it's when you go beyond one that things go awry so I just didn't right I didn't understand that because then I was like okay does that mean all amplifiers even if you just have one make you less emotional empathetic is that what we're trying to convey
0: no but that wouldn't make any damn sense I know
1: because they all have them
0: they all do. I don't know. I think, I do think a big, like, plot point of her gaining the second amp- amplifier is that she obtains this hunger because she realizes, like, oh, I'm different because no other Grisha can have a second I'm amplifier. Not other girls. Yeah. Like, oh my God, I'm just so weird and different <laughs> and random. That I can have a second amplifier. So, she, like, loses this, um, I guess, like, kind of grip on the reality that she once knew. And she's like, oh, there's, like, way more possibilities here. And maybe with those possibilities, I am now more like the Darkling than I thought. So, I understood why getting the second amplifier changed her personality, but... I don't really know why having the first amplifier led her to even having the second one. I honestly think it might have just happened so fast that she couldn't even really do anything about it. Because, like, it literally happened so fast. She didn't have much choice.
1: Yeah, I, and, like, I understand, like, the hunting of it. She was kind of, like, yeah, what it, it did happen quickly. What was she going to do? All that jazz. It's just when she ultimately kills it. And then take – I think it's the taking the scales that really – I don't know. Freaks me out because she, like, talks about how they're, like, bloody and stuff. Um, Yeah. I know. Gross. It's gross. And so it's like – okay, yeah, it was going to be hunted. I understand her not, like, having a ton there just because it happened so fast and it was kind of inevitable. And then they get it there and she has some hesitation over killing it. She does. But it it's pretty mm-hmm. it's pretty brief. She there cuz they're like it's going to die anyways and then she's like, "Well, if it's going to die anyways, might as well be me." Yeah. And I just don't think after she does it, she feels like a ton of anything. I don't, you know? Yeah. I kind of
0: wonder if just like once she gains that that power from obtaining the second one she's like the power is so distracting to her that she doesn't really think about the death of the sea whip the way that she did with the stag Mm. i also liked that uh, there was this line at the beginning of chapter four right when they found the stag that's like it felt wrong like everything was happening too quickly and I wrote down, yes, at least this book is self-aware. <laughs> we got another little self-aware moment where she's like, hmm, this is happening really fast. Because it it did. It just happened so fast. And I do see the, the point of like, oh, that thing is going to die. And if I don't kill it, then it's going to die in vain. Mm-hmm. Because then I can't use the amplifier. Yeah. I get that. So it seems to me that she did that. And then she had this newfound power and was like, oh, shit. And then she was like so distracted by that that she just didn't think that much about mm-hmm. the death of it but but it it is just weird just because the whole mercy plot line in the first book it's just, just so like, seems big. so pointless to me now because it, it's like such a big deal right and then it's just never it has nothing to do with anything in this well,
1: book Well, and when we finish shadow and bone i you know a lot of times the first book is used not to like fully set up a, like a like a fleshed out character, but at least to establish some like main tenets of that character throughout the series. You know, they, they have these certain traits and we see them come up time and time again and we see them from book one, e- even before they get their development. And I, yeah. the way I read Shadow and Bone was that like that mercy that she showed the stag and how big that was in the book i was like oh this is a main aspect of her character and her personality like she's very yeah she feels a lot as far as like loss of life and mentally i was like ooh, what's really interesting is this idea of emphasizing her as being a character who cares so much about loss of life and then her gradually losing that as she like falls to like a darker side and has multiple amplifiers and yada yada and I but then she's like that before she even gets her second amplifier and so then I was like well I mean and like I guess her being merciful is like not a main character trait of hers it was just like in that moment yeah that's so true
0: it was it like should have been a character defining moment and it wasn't.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's what is strange for me when I read the the sea serpent scene. And I feel like this just
0: goes back to our earlier discussion of like character traits being unclear in both Alina and Mal mm-hmm. in this story so far. Because I just feel like I mean, Mal is way even less clear than Alina, but Alina is just so waffly. (laughs) Like she just kind of, in this book, she just kind of goes along with everything. Mm -hmm. And in the first book, she has all these moments of like, I'm going to show mercy and I'm going to like take ownership of my power and just all these moments. So I don't know. It was just kind of weird to read how this book from the get-go is just like, it's just like weird. I don't yeah. have any other words for it. It's it's weird. It's odd.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting once I finish Ruin and Rising to talk about the overall oh art. I can't and wait. like how that how that plays out for the character development specifically. I mean, I'm anticipating lots of plot hole closures, so looking forward to that. Um, yes, but character development. I'm not going to lie. There's going to have to be a lot of it in Ruin and Rising for this series to come back for me. I think character development is usually my favorite part of a series. And that's kind of what Mm -hmm. makes certain series stand out to me. Yeah. And right now I'm just, I'm not seeing it. So TBD. Yeah. For sure. Especially
0: when you're in the head of a main character like this. Mm Mm-hmm. Like you want to see them grow, like we did with Jude in the Folk of the Air. Mm-hmm. Like we're, we grew with her, and in so far with this arc, we have not really grown with Alina, and that's just kind of frustrating.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but time will tell. No series is yeah. is done until we finish it. So,
0: yes. the jury is
1: is still out, as we've proven time and time again.
0: So yeah, stay tuned come back for our next episode uh where we'll talk about ruin and rising and recap the whole series and discuss the closure or lack thereof of
1: plot holes <laughs> Woo-hoo. i'm very excited we're plot
0: hole queens nobody can spot a plot yeah. hole. <laughs> yeah if there's one thing we're gonna do just we just love to be haters amen oh speaking of loving to be haters <laughs>
1: can't wait to hear what this is <laughs>
0: Um, you're going to be disappointed. This is... a uh, you, you texted me recently and we're like, we should officially rate books uh, on each episode. Yes, yes. Because of how much we love to be haters, it mm-hmm. might sound like we just really fucking hated a book after we <laughs> give an episode on it. When in fact, we were just like, we just happened to dwell so, on a couple I was going to say, sometimes we when
1: we get on a tangent, we like, get on a tangent.
0: We, yeah. yeah, we just kind of run with it. So... So what did you say? Three point five stars? I, yeah, I said three
1: point five stars, um, which I think is very much so middle of the pack for me. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't hand out five stars super easily, so I think this is I think three point five is a solid solid rating.
0: Yeah, I'm trying in the new year this will be like my first full year of like using goodreads i'm trying to like not just give out five stars to every Mm -hmm. every good book i read so with that in mind i think i give this three solid stars especially i hate to do this but in comparison to ruin and rising it just
1: i will say that always it's like whenever i finish a series i like have to go back and change my stars because i'm like wait never never mind (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and sometimes I'll
0: I'll finish it and be like, "This was so good," and then I'll think about it for a couple of days and be like, like
1: "Never mind." Yeah. yeah, never mind. Well, and I but, think I think with this one, I think this is like a three star because, to your point, there's not like when I finished it and I thought back on it, nothing really stood out to me. I before we started this. Um, recording today I was like what happened in this book I just yeah I just same. read it last week but I was like <laughs> what did we what was going on and we I feel like even still didn't touch on the majority of things that were going on because they were just meaningless <laughs> yeah yeah like we don't need to talk about all these
0: meetings that they were going like through. we didn't
1: even talk about uh Nikolai's brother who's the stupidest traitor of all time
0: I know it's because there's just like not much to say like he yeah he was a plot device to get the darkling back into osalta mm-hmm. and you know what it worked it worked and, and a lot of people died because of him yep so so yeah no there was just like not that much to talk about so i come back next week yeah. and we'll, <laughs> we'll have more interesting things to talk about all right well, do you have any parting words I do not,
1: except goodbye. Me either farewell, Auf I was just about to, see, I'll, I'll to say Auf Wiedersehen. Is that how you say? It? You probably okay. say it better than I do. Of,
0: I'm trying to think of how it's spelled. I don't speak German, but I've seen it spelled out. It's like Alf Heetersen.
1: I don't think that's how you say it, though.
0: No, I don't think it is. Anyone speaking German is gonna shoot me right now. <laughs> Anyone who speaks German. It's It's, on, kill it's kill in me. a song. Is it not? I know. So long, farewell, Avitasen, goodbye.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna um, put it on. Wait, let me see. Will this play? I was gonna play in my headphones. I'm so stupid. Oh rip! Wait, my computer might play it out loud. It's Avitasen. How do? Okay. Okay. Avitasen. Someone out there speaks German and is like, "Please make it stop." So we'll stop. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. We'll stop. We'll stop. um yeah anyway
0: bye that's that's all i have goodbye (laughs) talk to you next week